Hello, Academaniacs. Michael here with another exciting episode of the RPG Academy podcast. Today's show is faculty meeting 124. The uh, numbering on the faculty meetings have got a little wonky uh, because we've released a few out of order and sometimes, frankly, I forget what number we're on. But 124 is with Craig Campbell of Nerd Burger Games. Uh, he hosts a podcast. He's been on the show before. He's the writer of the Murders and Acquisitions RPG as well as the In Development Capers RPG. And we discuss uh, tagalongs, companions, NPC hirelings, and the like. But before we get into today's show, I wanted to take a minute to let everyone know, if you hadn't already heard, that we have two new members of the RPG Academy Network. Tales of Blood and Stone, which is a Shadow of the Demon Lord actual play, as well as How We Roll, which is a three-year-old or so podcast that primarily focuses on Call of Cthulhu, but has also dipped their toes into some Curse of Strahd D&D 5e. Both of those shows are amazingly well done, well GM'd, excellent audio, editing, sound effects, all the things that you should come to expect in an RPG Academy Network show. And then I also wanted to mention, if you are a fan of the Gamers Table podcast, which you should be, because they are also a member of the RPG Academy Network, they are launching a Kickstarter on July 23rd to fund their second season of Gamers Table 2.0. The Gamers Table podcast went away for a little while. They have now come back, and they're using Kickstarter to fund their seasons because they now record at a studio, which they rent, and they also pay for editing and production and the like. So July 23rd, there will be links in all of our social media to the Kickstarter to help fund their second season back. So hopefully we will see you there helping to support a member of our network And hopefully you'll check out some of the newer shows that have joined or maybe some older ones if you haven't quite got around to it yet. If you visit our website, therpgacademy.com, there is a network affiliate page that lists all the different shows that are currently part of the network and will link you directly to their site. This episode of the RPG Academy podcast is brought to you by Goliath Games and Pressman Toy who have been entertaining families for generations with classic games such as Rummy Cube, Mastermind, and Pop the Pig. They are excited to offer a variety of games from kids and family, STEM products, arts and crafts, family classics, sporting, and more. For more information about their games, please visit goliathgames.com or pressmantoy.com. You can also follow them on social media at pressmantoy or at goliathgamesus to learn more about their products, giveaways, and more. Thank you again to Goliath Games and Pressman Toy for sponsoring this episode. And now, on to the show. always start out by saying I don't know how long the the delay is, but by now we should be live. So hello and welcome to the RPG Academy podcast live. I am Michael. I'm your host tonight. This is going to be a faculty meeting. So a live faculty meeting. I believe it's 124. The numbering system is a little bit off because we've got a bunch of episodes in the can we haven't released yet. So we're going to say it's 124. And my guest tonight is Craig Campbell. You probably know him from Nerd Burger Games, Nerd Burger Podcast, a bunch of Nerdy Burger stuff. (laughs) <laughs> and, and his current Kickstarter for Capers, which we are definitely going to talk about at some point tonight. So, Craig, welcome back to the show. Hello. Hi, Michael. Glad to be back. I'm up past my bedtime just for you. Oh, thank you. I am not up past my bedtime, but if we weren't doing this, I would be asleep because I am very tired. Uh, <laughs> it's like uh, New York Tater is with us. Thank you for joining, as always. Um so let me find my little script here, because again, I, we haven't done a faculty meeting live for quite a while. Uh, oh, Targris is here as well. <coughs> Excuse me. So this is going to be faculty meeting 124, I think. PC tagalongs. Uh, but before we get too far into the show, we always like to take a step back and remind everyone why we are here. Greg has joined me today so that we can talk about our experiences with role-playing games, and we hope that through this conversation we can share some of the experience we have gleaned from our many years of playing tabletop RPGs. But of course we understand that the opinions we share and the advice we give may not work at every table every time, but there is one piece of advice that we feel is pretty universal. And Greg, what is that one piece of advice? 
If you're having fun, you're doing it right. That is correct, sir. So no matter what game you're playing, the system or edition, what rules you use, don't use, or misuse, as long as you're having fun, you're doing it right. So with that out of the way, we'll move into announcements. So we'll just start with you. Uh, Craig, you got anything you want to talk about? Uh, no. Oh, okay. No, everything's good. All right, we'll just move right on then. <laughs> no, I've got a Kickstarter. Okay, yeah, tell me all about it. Um, yeah, the second game from uh, Nerdburger Games. Uh, if you recall Murders and Acquisitions from back in the day, that's how you and I met. Yes. You, uh, you helped promote Murders and Acquisitions, and I became a part of the uh, RPG Academy family um, here and there and came to a catacomb. Thank yes. you for putting me up for that, and I'm coming again. That's right. You'll be there. In November this year. Um, and if all goes well, knock on wood and all that, um, I'll have actual finished copies of Capers. Um, because the Kickstarter is funded, it funded in six hours. Nice. Um, it's blowing through stretch goals. We're closing right now. As we're talking, we're clo we're closing in on the fourth stretch goal. Um, if the kind of the rate continues the way it has been, we're looking at probably you know that'll get hit before the weekend. Um, and then we've got a little under two weeks left to go um, as of that point. So uh, yeah, there'll be some more stuff that'll be getting floated into the uh, rewards. Some some announcements coming for backers and uh, the public in general for anybody who wants to check out the updates uh yeah it's rocking and rolling very very cool so for anyone who might not know what capers is yet i know you've been on a lot of shows and you've done a lot of publicity so you probably already said this a thousand times but in case <laughs> there's someone in our audience that has not yet heard it what is capers oh man people are going to be getting so tired of me <laughs> um yeah capers uh it's a, a tabletop role-playing game uh it's like a super-powered game of gangsters in the roaring 20s so you're playing uh gangsters bootleggers mobster types who are looking to get rich off of uh the uh uh, illegal alcohol being sold during prohibition during the roaring 20s j the jazz age um, you can alternatively portray members of law enforcement and fight that losing battle uh, <laughs> because they are severely understaffed and undermanned and were not prepared historically uh, nor are they in the game prepared uh, for the uh, influx and rise in organized crime that came out of illegal alcohol so uh, it's all of that, but you got superpowers too. So your uh, your character may have superpowers. You, there are options for playing non-powered characters that are still kind of super cool and highly skilled um, if you want to play that type of character. Um, the other rival organizations and gangs have uh, supers at their disposal, as does law enforcement. So it's not just shootouts in the streets with Tommy guns. It's Tommy guns and I-beams and speedsters and invisibility and all that fun stuff. All right. So, uh, you know, I know a little bit about the game, having talked to you some, and then I've been listening to the the actual play that is on one shot. So I think their third episode just came out. I haven't listened to that one yet, so I don't know if there's three or you know, more than three, but I've listened to there's, the first two. There's three. Okay. Have not listened as to As far these. as I know. I have not listened to the third one yet myself, but I was told by James D'Amato that it should be a three episode. All right. Looks like uh, Calum has joined us as well. Calum, welcome. Um, I know where you're at. I hope things are going great. So, um, so what was it about this genre mashup, superpowers and bootleggers, that uh, interested you? Well, I got the the kind of spark to do a supers game. Not that I'm a you know, huge super or like I'm a supers guy. I'm not a comic book guy. I've read comic books here and there, but um, this is not a you know comic book superhero game. I was like, I'm, I'm intrigued by the idea of characters with extraordinary abilities, and so I looked at like, okay, first I was looking, okay, well, what's modern day? Well, there's a you know, there's there's dozens of superhero and supers based games set in the modern day. Why why did why try to reinvent that? So I started looking at um, you know periods in history, and I floated around through a few different ideas and kind of settled into the 1920s because that's an era that I find personally interesting. Um, I enjoy movies and TV shows that center around those uh, kind of larger than life personalities and the sort of romanticized ideal of that. Uh, kind of genre of movie and television because um, okay. it's like oh hey look at all these wonderful really cool suave gangsters doing all this cool stuff well you know most of them were murderous thugs yeah but it's the romanticized version of that well um, it's like pirates you know yeah it's cool <laughs> pirates are cool no they were actually not but that's okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so i just kind of settled into that idea and i you know i bounced you know in my head i bounced around and i thought about it i was like you know there's 
there's supers games that are set in kind of alternate genres and alternate, you know, uh, alternate histories and different periods in time. But I don't think the 20s is something that's really been explored. And I think that's a, an era of history that I will enjoy researching. Um, and, uh, you know, I got some people to help do some design work in too, and they got a chance to research that and um, kind of fell in love with it and enjoyed the research process um, to write up uh, setting information and that. And so that it just kind of snowballed from there. And then um, this is a game that doesn't use dice. No dice. Uh, and I know you, you talked about that somewhat extensively on a Misdirected Mark podcast recently. So we don't have to rehash that. People can just go find that episode. But what is it about not having dice that, that appealed to you to the point that you wanted to include that in this game? Well, um, per, you know, it was, it was kind of three things. First, it was a challenge to me because I had worked in dice systems. I had freelanced for a few things. I designed my own dice system for murders and acquisitions. Um, but I thought I'd challenge, challenge myself and I was looking at playing cards and what that can be. And I thought that, um, you know, like the, uh, there are games out there like Deadlands, the original Deadlands and, and some others that use playing cards to some extent. There's a handful of games that use playing cards in different ways. Um, so it was kind of the second thing was like, well, I'm going to try to do something with playing cards, see what that, see what that does. Um, so I initially was just kind of toying around with the idea. And then I settled into the idea of this multiple flip one at a time where you're kind of, it's a sort of a press your luck mechanic where you could flip a card and it could be a successful flip, but it's barely successful. It's got a low degree of success. There might be a complication. And so you have a, you have, you have to make a choice. You can flip again and take that new card. The old card goes away. Um, take that new card and that could be a better success or you could risk failure in the process. So, um, you know, it just, it made sense as like, you know, the, the Roaring Twenties are filled with, uh, you know, gangsters and, and prohibition, but, you know, certainly illegal gambling is a big part of the scene in that, uh, in those stories as well. So, you know, having a gambling mechanic sort of in the game where you're kind of gambling on your success uh, made a lot of sense thematically. So I'll ask you a question. I'm going to you completely on the spot. So feel free to tell me to go pound sand. But sure. <laughs> since you're using cards and you even refer to it as a gambling mechanic, should there be a system where if you flip three cards and they make three of a kind, a straight, a flush, <laughs> that that actually also could possibly mean something? That gets really complicated. <laughs> um, and it's also a little limiting in, well, it would it would be one of those things that you'd, you'd see players um, who would create their characters differently in order to make sure that like they had more opportunities to flip many cards. Because there's you there are, you know, you might have traits um, or powers that where you're only flipping one or two cards. And right. if you need three or four cards in order to even have a chance at something like that. Um, so, so I'm not saying that's like that's a core mechanic. That's yeah. what you're trying to do. Because I know no, the way no. it works is, you know, you get basically you're hitting like a target number and the suit matters. Mm -hmm. But it's just sort of a crap. I failed all three of these, but I got a two, three and a four <laughs> sort of a thing. So anyways, have have that if you decide to use it. Great. If not, whatever. I'll, I'll make us I'll, I'll put together a supplement that's called, uh, you know, <laughs> complexifying the game system. <laughs> and I'll put that out next year and you can try all sorts of weird stuff. Nice. That um, just makes it makes it harder to track everything. Yep, yep. Well, yeah. <laughs> for, I mean, exactly. for people that like their math and their poker. So I don't like math, but I do like poker. So that, that, that's what uh, that appeals to me there. So so last plug. What are we talking? If we want the PDF, we want the book. Where are we going to pay for this? Um, the uh, the base buy-in uh, backer level is fifteen dollars. That gets you the PDF of the game, um, every stretch goal that we unlock as part of that. All the PDF uh, support materials, which are just like things like adventures and things that will help you play the game. They're not necessary, but they're nice. Um, you get a, um, a discount link to buy the book at cost uh, later. If you so, you can get the physical book if you want to. Otherwise, it, it, no additional, just other than you know the cost to print the book and ship it to you. Um, you also get a discount link to buy a deck of playing cards that are themed capers, normal playing cards, but they have the capers, uh, you know, logo and stuff on the back, and they'll have uh, the illustrations of the in, at, on the face cards will be NPCs from the from the book. Um, and but you can play the game with regular, you know, your, gotcha. whatever deck of playing cards you have. Sure. So those are available to you there, and. Uh, um, there are other higher backer levels. Um, most of them are, are gone now at the two weeks into the, uh, there's one, there's one still left right now. That's called a sit down where it's, that's kind of the group thing where you can get like, you know, four copies of everything and, 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 a, and I'll run a game for you and your buddies, um, online or, you know, potentially in person if we're going to be somewhere you know, right. at the same time. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, 
15 bucks is, you know, the whole digital thing. And then a few bucks extra to, to get a physical book or cards if you want to do that later. Right. So All lots right. of stuff for 15 bucks. Well, congratulations again. If anybody joined in late, you've already funded again on top. You're close to triple funding at this point. You still got a couple weeks to go with the campaign. So best <sighs> of luck to getting as high as you can possibly get. It's moving along. Thank you, Michael. Very cool. How, how's your Kickstarter doing? Oh, mm -hmm. it's nice of you to ask. I unprompted even. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the Academicon Kickstarter funded, I think, last night, like around 9, 10 o'clock. We finally got to that magic number. Uh, we've had a couple more sponsors jump on now, so we're just a little bit above, which is, I like, the, I like some cushion because somebody could end up canceling their pledge. They may go, you know what? I actually can't afford this, and then we are screwed. Uh but we have plenty of room for more sponsors. We got a bunch of table toppers left. There's really no limit to people who want to sponsor us. So I'm hoping we'll get a few more people to, to jump on, but, but that's done. So I'm already starting to move on to the next phases. We're going to have, um, currently it's set up to be Eventbrite because that's what we used last year, but there's actually a new, oh, it's not new, it's new to me, system called Celery. Are you familiar with that? Yes, I am uh, in passing. So basically, it's an online web store. It's very priced very well. They take like 2% for every transaction, which is much better than what Eventbrite charges. They have a really weird um, process. I still don't know what, how it works, but like you put in how much you want it to make from each thing, and then they add on fees. And sometimes it's like 20%, sometimes it's like 25%. It's really weird. So uh, Celery is much cheaper in the long run but I don't think the interface is nearly as, uh, as useful. It's kind of ugly, in my opinion. And Eventbrite does a bunch of other things that helps you. Like you can send out mass emails to everyone who bought anything. You can print badges. And they do a lot of stuff that's very helpful for an event that Celery doesn't do. But it's so much cheaper. <laughs> so that, that's my current, current, current internal debate is what we want to go with. Yeah, what's, what's all that extra functionality worth to you? Yes. And, and again, I will say this, that when I'm looking at the prices, what I'm trying to do is lower what people have to pay. And I still get what I wanted when I did my budget. So I won't, I won't make any more through salary, but the people will pay less. So I'm sure they all would like for that to happen. Um, but again, I don't know if it's going to work out because of all these other factors. But I mean, realistically, we're talking maybe two bucks total for each person. So it's not like it's a lot per person, but you know, from six, 700 people buying badges, it, it adds up. Uh, so yes, we got two, three more weeks on that, and uh, we have another, uh, it's not really going to be a Kickstarter, but a new thing coming out fairly soon. We talked about a Catacon line. So if anybody wants to play an online game with some of the RPG Academy faculty or some of our network peeps, or maybe some even volunteer GMs that might be currently in a Kickstarter for their own game, uh, you're going to have the opportunity to do that. May 18th, 19th, and 20th, we're looking at about 8 to $10 per ticket, and that Kind of comes down to if we go through Eventbrite or go through Celery. And um, we're hoping to raise some extra funds for Catacon. You know, four or five people per table. If we can get 20 or 30 games across that entire weekend, great. Should be a lot of fun. And we get a little bit extra money for Catacon. I'm all for that. Cool. Oh, excuse me. Session zero. Ah. So with all of that out of the way, we'll go ahead and get into tonight's topic. Uh, we've had a couple... We had some conversation back and forth on what we wanted to talk about. And I had a couple ideas, you had a couple ideas, neither one of us were super excited about each other's ideas. <laughs> uh, so I decided to go back to uh, our Discord, and I actually think it was Targris. Uh, I had asked a while back for some suggestions, and I believe it was you who said, talk about mounts and you know animal companions in, in the game. We had never covered that, so I thought, great. So I'll start with you, Craig, as a player, what are your thoughts on having an animal companion, a familiar, or even like a NPC tag-along companion sort of thing to your player characters? I think they're great. <laughs> okay. Would you like to expound on that? Um, well, the the only, the big issue that I've run into in sometimes, not, not all the time, but, you know, in some games that I've played in, different groups over the years, is that, as an example, a familiar can feel in like and be used as if it were simply a meat bag of class features and it has nothing else beyond that it's like okay i've got this familiar and it can go over here and i can uh deliver touch spells through it and it can like look at stuff and if it's a, like a raven it can come back and talk to me or it gives me some perk you know 
bonus to a skill or proficiency or whatever, and maybe a couple other things. And I just use those things and the, and the, the familiar is just kind of assumed to be just kind of part of the list of things that my wizard can do. Um, well, what, what, uh, you know, what can the familiar be beyond the class features that it provides? That's kind of the big thing that I like to focus on with, with mounts or with animal companions or with uh, familiars. The same way you would with an NPC that's kind of part of the group. If you've got an NPC, maybe you've got a small, uh, small player group, small group of characters, and you're like missing up an important role. So the, the, D, uh, the DM has a, you know, a, an NPC that accompanies the group occasionally to kind of fill out something that the group's missing, that type of thing. Well, um, you know, that character, that NPC can kind of sometimes get lost in the mix of things. Like, they only show up when there's a combat. Um, you know, everybody forgets about them otherwise. So I want, I'd, I'd like to see there, there be some personality and, um, and some other things that I think we'll talk about here right now to uh, the critter or the NPC. Um, that's kind of the, the, the big crux of what I kind of de right. delved into for, for the talk tonight. So I have some complicated feelings about this. Um, <laughs> as a player... This and, is a safe space. Go ahead. It, absolutely. As Tell a, us. As a DM, <laughs> I'm not a fan of them. Like, I, I'm totally against DM NPCs. I, oh, for, oh, sure. You know, so if... if if we only got two players, then I'll just change the game so that having two players makes sense. You know, we'll be in a campaign where you don't need a fighter or you don't need a cleric. You can do two or whatever. So I don't like having the, the companion that hangs out with them and, you know, oh, they, they, they missed a clue. Well, did you think about, you know, and then they step in, they give some exposition or, again, they show up when there's combat. So I'm just not a fan of that. And from a player standpoint, when I talk about a mount or familiar, I want them to be part of my character. I want them to be interesting. I, I don't want them to just be, you know, like you said, a feature that adds to my character. But as the DM, you have to accommodate that. I, I, so I guess what I'm saying is like, if you're playing a normal game, quote unquote, normal D&D &D game, and you have the one person who has like a war horse, either they're never going to get to use that war horse effectively, or you as a DM have to design encounters that will allow for the rogue to do their thing and the wizard to do their thing and the paladin to do their thing. And it just adds a lot of complexity to make it worth the time and effort to have that character have a companion or a mount, or otherwise it's like, it's not really even there, if that makes sense. Sure. It's Schroding Schrodinger's uh, mount. Schrodinger's critter? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, there's, you know, there's something to be said for not uh, complexifying because I'm going to keep using that word yep. tonight um, for not complexifying the the DM's uh, situation, if you, especially you know if you're if you're short on time, if you know if prep is is, is a bit of a chore, you don't you know it's, it's hard enough to get the games together. Um, but those are you know now with, with the with the NPC with like a fully fleshed out realized NPC with all of his his or her levels and class. Uh, features and all that other stuff and spells and who knows magic items who knows what else that can get overly much um and but i think with you know with a uh with a critter with a mount or a, a animal companion or a familiar um there are ways to alleviate um the dm having to go crazy with all of that stuff if, if the player steps up and says um you know i've got this um animal companion that is um you know, like one one of the things that I saw quite a bit with like you know rangers with beast companions and things like that was like they, they portray it as like this is this 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 animal is my friend. In sure. fact, this animal is perhaps my best friend. They have been there for me for years. They are closer to me than my own family members are. And you party members are all new compared to this beast who I call my best friend. Well, then if the player you know and you use the you use the the, the benefits that the that the animal companion provides to you and you've got a flank buddy and he, they can go scout and they can guard and all this sort of thing. But at the same time, if this is your best friend, here's the question, you know, the DM places to you. Does that mean you'll die for him? You know, and the DM doesn't have to put the animal companion in danger. The player can actually do that on their own. <laughs> the player oh, yeah. will, the players will do the, the DM's job for them plenty if you let them, you know. So if the DM, whenever the whenever the player, you know, a, a player picks up and says, "I'm going to have my, you know, order my animal companion into this fight," blah blah blah. Um, if things start to go poorly and the animal companion's in 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 bad shape, then the player plays the character appropriate. Like I'm I'm going to forego helping the wizard um, who needs help 
to help my best friend <laughs> that's been there with me all through my life. Right. And so you're now you're playing um, a relationship between you, your character and the animal companion. And it's not actually costing the DM any extra time or prep. It's, it's something that the player has taken on uh, for themselves. Yeah. And, and I love the idea of making it a relationship that means something, you know, cause you can, you can absolutely have emotional stakes tied to, you know, your bear, if you're gentle Ben or uncle Ben or whatever that, Ben's was uh, Uncle Ben's the rice. Uncle yeah. Ben, oh yeah, that's right. Gentle not, Ben. <laughs> um, but that doesn't, at least in my experience, that's not usually the way it happens. Though most of my experiences with a bunch of immature people, I've I've changed the people I hang out with and play with a lot di differently. Recently, I think it would be better. But this is my experience. But for me, the classic idea is like the the paladin with a war horse. But I want the players to go into a dungeon. Horse isn't going to go in the dungeon, so you're going to have that scene where the paladin hobbles their horse outside the dungeon, or they do the thing where they slap it on the flank and say, you know, go to town. So then you have the paladin without their mount for an extended period of time. I'm well known for time travel in my game, so anytime you go into a dungeon, there's a good chance when you come back out, it's going to be a different year. <laughs> so now you've lost your horse. So your horse isn't there or it's been like seven years and the bones of your horse are there because your horse died. So I've just killed your horse by DM, <laughs> DM Fiat. You had no choice in the matter. So so you just can't, I can't do that because it's not fair to the player. It's kind of a you know jerk move to do it that way. But those are the sorts of things that I like to do in the game. I like to have time travel and these weird things. And even if you just get captured, you know, if they get captured by the king and they're thrown in prison for two weeks, realistically, someone else would have taken that horse and either killed it or claimed it. You know, <laughs> you know, again, it's a war horse. It's probably biting people's hands off and stuff. But still, you know, there's so much the energy you have to put into doing that. Now, I kind of went through the uh, the scroll there. I think it was Caleb had talked about maybe everyone has something like that. It's like, you know, almost like playing a Magnificent Seven type game where everyone's a cowboy. Okay, sure. so everybody has a horse. So now you're all on equal footing. You're probably just not going to go into dungeons. Or if you do, someone's going to make arrangements. Like you're going to take all your horses and leave them with somebody. And it's different. But having one person with this extra thing that just causes work doesn't seem to work very well for me. So maybe it's my failings, but I'm not a fan of it from the DM standpoint. But as a player, I like to have them and I like to play with them. Well, I think with a player, if the player knows you, and has played with you before. And if anybody who is listening to this right now listens to you talk about all this weird, wacky time travel stuff you like to do, and you get a chance to play D&D down the road with Michael, maybe you don't play a paladin. <laughs> well, Just saying. See, because you, the, the player can be, can be informed of those types of things. And, you know, like even at the beginning of the campaign, you can say, you know, my campaigns tend to do X, Y, and Z. Be forewarned if you are going to do, you know, one, two, or three with your characters because it, you might end up kind of losing out on something for a little while. Right. Um, and so, the players just kind of know it, but they're like, oh, that's cool. I'll just deal with, you know, the cool, the, the moments when I have, moment, the moments when my paladin has his, his mount and does all sorts of cool stuff with the mount will outshine the period of time where I'm without the mount. Right. But I think um, there's a lot of that. rules that have been put in place as well as magic items that are specifically to address this problem. <laughs> yeah. So you have like those, uh, you know, w wondrous figurines. So you can have like a dire bear mount, but it turns into a little two inch mannequin. I put it in my pocket when we go in the dungeon, we come back out, it's there again. Or I think in fifth edition, a paladin can basically send their horse to the astral plane or something. And yeah, then they, 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 with recent editions, they did stuff where you're, you know, you're summoning it from the ether from somewhere right. so that you can, get rid of it they, they've solved that a little bit right. with the mechanics of the game and I, I i believe wholeheartedly that i'm not the only person that's had those experiences and they're like okay we want the paladin to have their mount but eventually they're going to go into a dungeon so how do we fix that okay we'll just let them summon it from nowhere which is fine but then that also seems like that sort of takes away a little bit from the whole you know my, my horse is my best friend and we you know we have this relationship because is it even the same horse is it from the plane of horsiness and it's just a small aspect of horse that is now on the material plane? I don't know. It just, it's D&D, &D, but that just seems weird to me. Well, and, and it's one of those things that you kind of have to, you know, decide if that's what it is. Like there was a, uh, back in a third edition game, we had, you know, there was a summoner 
character in the group who was whipping up uh, monster summoning spells. And the, the, my DM at the time got it into his head that when he summoned up a particular, um, it started with a kobold and at low levels, and then it became other things at higher levels too. That when he summoned the kobold, the kobold, um, when he, you know, he would get a group of kobolds at higher levels. You know, you always had like D four plus one kobolds or whatever it was. Um, one of them in there was always the same kobold. So they actually started to develop a little bit of a relationship. And after a little while, that kobold got a little bit miffed that he was constantly being taken away from his family. And it became a great role-playing moment. And you can, you can even have fun with the fact that, you know, the, the helper, in this case, a summon creature, could be, you know, the other critters that are part of the, the character class. Um, you know, when they come and go, you know, play that personality aspect up. Like, you know, how does the... How does the, uh, the the beast react when it comes back after being dismissed for a while? Is it is it ticked off? Is it like is it refreshed and like oh that was wonderful? I had a little vacation. Well, you, you can even do this sort of thing where it's like funny, like he shows up and he's got like a napkin and he's got a knife and a fork. <laughs> I was just about to have dinner, you jerk. He's in uh, a shower. He's in a shower. Yeah, all, yep. all sudsed up. <laughs> oh, uh, that would be funny. Uh, totally off tangent, but uh, back, I think it was in second edition, there was a, uh, a, a supplement you could buy or an accessory is, is like random encounters. It's like a, like a little, like a little treasure box with mm-hmm. a bunch of cards and you just randomly had cards and it had all these little just one-off encounter ideas that you could use to put together a campaign or just like, you know, one shot or whatever. And one of them was that there was a high level wizard in a battle and used like a summon creature, but it summoned the party because they were the most powerful, closest thing. And so they just get thrown into this battle between this wizard and whatever the wizard's fighting. And it's sort of the same thing. Like they're all doing their thing and they just get disappeared. And now they're over here kind of to know what it feels like to be that from the other side. That happened to me. (laughs) The DM pulled that. He was a long time DM. It was a third edition game. I'm guessing that the idea probably came from that, from that uh, from that product and he had us like like we were in the middle of dealing with something it wasn't a fight but we were in the middle of dealing with something and we got yoinked to fight a battle and were compelled by the summoning however it worked to right. fight the battle and then we sh- and then we you know and it wasn't a terribly hard battle but it was like one of those things that depleted some resources we went back down on hit points and then we all of a sudden showed back up right to the you know Right back to the and it was the, he he did he did he did the time twist thing too where like we we literally like reappeared exactly where we uh, at the same time that we had been and all of a sudden we're all disheveled and bloody and that was good stuff that, anyway uh, no no that's fine because <laughs> it actually reminds me of the Star Trek episode and again I, I Caleb is probably he does he's not listening but he's probably angry right now because I'm going to misquote Star Trek <laughs> but there's the episode where Picard is supposed to negotiate with this race that. They haven't really interacted with before and you know like the whole episode he's trying to practice exactly how to say the right greeting and then i think it's a holodeck thing because it's always a holodeck thing where he gets trapped and then he gets out at the very last minute and he has to go up and give the speech without you know being totally prepared so i can kind of see the same things like you're getting ready to go in these really tense negotiations where there's a time limit where you know you have to do a certain thing before the moon sets or you know war and then at 7 15 you all get pulled over somewhere else and you're having to fight that battle to get back in time to not mess up everything. So that could, that could be a fun way to do that. But again, tangent. So, yeah. well, let's apply it to let's apply it to the critters, right? Okay. Let's if you've got any critters that are that have a, a semblance of intelligence and potentially a way to communicate, there are certain familiars that do that sort of thing. Um, it, if you're playing a higher level game, the DM might decide that, you know, your animal companion or your mount or something like that actually can communicate with you. Um, does do 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 they you know when they, when they come back were they in the middle of something? Um, when they you know and th- that just speaks to giving them a personality in general. The easiest way to um, present a personality is if the is if the animal can speak. Um, but you can also do it if the animal does not communicate. You can have the the animal can be a lot of different things. It can be. You know, you can be skittish. Um, like, you know, okay, this is like as an example, a great thing I've I've done this with with uh, familiars when I've been DMing. Um, when you get the when you get the char- the the player who wants their wizard to cast those touch spells through the familiar. Yep. Okay, I've often remarked to friends of mine that it must be exhausting to be a chipmunk <laughs> because everything can kill you in all the time. 
And whenever you see a chipmunk, you never see a chipmunk relax. They're always like, mm, you know, just <laughs> tensed up. And when they move, they move quickly because they got to get over there right now because that thing's going to kill them. So now you're sending your familiar in there to uh, deliver a touch spell to uh, Dracolich. Maybe that <laughs> familiar is going to be a little touchy and a little skittish <laughs> when it tries to do that. And it's going to it's going to do it because it's, you know, part of its relationship with you is that it does these services and it, it, it wants to help you. But at the end, it's going to, you know, it's going to be like maybe it doesn't come and sit on your shoulder or, or rest on your lap <laughs> or right poops in your sock for a day or two right maybe, right maybe it does all that stuff um brings you presents as they say exactly um you know there's there's a lot of ways that you can have the the familiar interact in interesting ways that make it again more than a just a bag full of uh, uh character features so class features. i, I want to go back just a quick second because then i did want to get mm -hmm. to familiars um so kind of going what you're talking about like when when you summon the creature it communicates in some way you could even have something where it comes back and it's in a harness or maybe it's even shackled you know so you know that something's going on wherever this came from you know <laughs> right. it could have a brand on it it could have like you know one of its hands is cut off so you know that there's some stuff happening where this thing's coming from to the point that maybe the players are like you know what why don't we go help this thing out you know it's been helping us out why don't we go back to where it's from or you could even have like maybe there's a an intelligence on the other side that like pins a note that says why do you keep taking my slaves you know <laughs> and sort of thing you know they you could make that an interesting part of the story but i want sure, to talk absolutely. about familiars uh, are you familiar pun uh, uh with mercedes lackey in any of the books that she's written i am not okay so i started reading these books when i was in high school they're, they may be awful, but I, I love them fondly. And there's a particular series. It's like a whole, like 24 books, all part of a big series, but there's time jumps. Uh, and there's several in kind of in the middle where there's this, uh, race isn't the right word. There's these people and they all have these giant birds. Like They're like dire birds, basically dire hawks, dire whatever. And they carry them around and they're an, a part of their fighting whenever you fight you always have this thing going there and it kicks butt and it's awesome and when the birds get hurt that's an emotional thing and yada 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 so i always wanted that but in dnd <laughs> especially in older editions you had like your crow like you were saying he's got like three hit points so <laughs> anytime you send your crow in to like scratch somebody's eyes out it gets murdered instantly which again they've changed now in fifth edition you can summon it back from the astral plane or whatever because it kept happening over and over and over again so how do you make familiars work without making them so overpowered that everyone wants one, but they're also not so weak that they're going to die the first time you try to use them in an interesting way in like a combat? Um, well, you can, I mean, it, it, rules as written, it's what yeah. you're talking about. You know, something takes a swipe at it, deals those four hit points and it's gone. Um, you know, why, why if, if, you know, if the wizard is supposed to be, um, care, is, is supposed to care about this familiar um, house rule up you know let's uh, let's say I'm not going to worry about <laughs> how many hit points the uh, the familiar has the the familiar can take two hits mm. so it goes out there it gets hit once and now the wizard's like whoa <laughs> whoa <laughs> I got to go save my familiar and it becomes a thing that I have to deal with on the battlefield now suddenly they're it, you know their their um, goals and their immediate goals change because they got to get the familiar out of there before they the familiar takes that second swat that's going to yeah. kill it or astralize it or whatever it is that happens um you know if you if you if you, if you just go by the rules you know it's poof it's gone you bring it back later if you want to build the um emotional attachment and and have that situation like that you can house rule that stuff easily enough and you know with one of with those types of things one of the things i usually do this is kind of a general rule that i use when i'm jamming and dming is like if you're when you make up a house rule like that it's just you make it make it clear to everybody that this house rule is under constant play test we might as a group decide okay it's a little too weak it's a little too powerful it's a little too weird whatever we'll, we'll tweak it we'll make it what it needs to be to uh, create the best play experience for the people involved. Yeah. Uh, so I'm sorry, I was reading chat. Someone had mentioned Blue Rose. Yeah. <laughs> which I had picked up uh, last Gen Con. It's, uh, it, they actually mentioned Mercedes Lackey specifically when they talk about the type of genre this is emulating. And that's, I pretty much bought it for that reason. And it's a game that's supposed to uh, sort of emulate romantic fantasy, mm -hmm. which is basically what 
those books Mercedes Lackey writes are. So yeah, so this probably would be a better way to play that game where you could have a familiar that's not going to die because it's not D&D. Uh, but yeah, Blue Rose, it, I haven't played it yet, but it's a very pretty book. It's also heavy. I think I could kill somebody with this. <laughs> That's uh, a thick book. And then someone else mentioned, yeah, so this is where I keep all my stuff. It's behind the, the curtain here. <laughs> so so pay no attention to the games behind the curtain. Mm. So I, I will say one of the, uh, one of, just kind of again, kind of a tangent, one of my favorite things I've ever done with Familiars, uh, back when 5th edition first came out, we were doing a play test. I think it's even on the on the show. We did like a one episode one shot sort of thing and we had two wizards with familiars and i think the way it works is basically they can communicate to you how, how does that work yeah so they can communicate what they hear or see and so we switched familiars and we used them like walkie talkies <laughs> so i would say i see three over here and it could communicate to the other one that they, what we saw, basically we couldn't hear each other, but we could both talk and the other one would hear what we were saying type of a thing. I don't actually remember how it worked, but it was kind of funny. I thought we invented familiar walkie talkies, which I thought was cool. <laughs> so we talked a little bit about how you could add a mount. If they, if they were both birds, they would be walkie flockies. <laughs> one point to you, sir. Uh, so we talked a little bit about how you could use mounts, hopefully, or at least accommodate for them a little bit from familiars. Is there anything in particular because I'm I'm really much against DM NPCs. Try to sell me on why we could use one of those. I think that's the one thing that we haven't touched on yet. Um, I'm not a huge fan of them myself, but I think it's, you know, it's it's going to be a situational thing. I don't think a, a, a DM controlled NPC is necessary a lot of the time, but there might be times when it is when you need a plot po a walking plot point to mm -hmm. go with the characters for a short time. Um, to be, you know, the exposition character and, you know, they might be involved in some fights and stuff, but um, maybe it's, you know, it's, it's temporary thing. Um, if you've got a group of players who really loves the classic four character D&D uh, &D dynamic, you know, the, the beatdown expert, the arcane caster, the divine caster, and the utility character, um, and you've only got three players and that's the game they really want to play, well, Mr. DM, maybe you just got to suck it up yeah. and NPC that uh, that cleric that nobody wants to play or the thief or yeah. whatever. Um, you know, it's I don't I don't know that I can sell you on it in just a broad sense. I think it's one, it's definitely one of those things that's like situational and you know it depends on the needs of of the game and the story and and in maybe the needs of the players um, or the preferences of the players. Um, and you can do it. It can be one of those things too that you can start. You know, you can do it. A little bit maybe early on like maybe the group needs um a thief um so you npc a thief for a little while and then once the characters start to get a little higher level one of the characters uh, multi-classes a little into thief or bard or something along those lines or just takes the right skills and gets a hold of a couple magic items and the wizard's got knock um to to take care of some of the classic thief stuff um you know, rogue stuff and then uh you know that that character can get phased out once they the the, right. uh, the rest of the group is sufficiently um, uh, skilled and uh, you know has 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 a broader base of they you know, sort of compensated for what they were lacking earlier. They're more vers they're more versatile with magic items and those sorts of things. They might start to so you know, as as the as the DM you can seed that in there. It's like okay, you're you guys got a rogue with you now, so. Flipping through my book, let's see what what magic items do I have to plan for? What four <laughs> magic items do I need to 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 uh, facilitate removing this rogue from the group, um, and get those into the hands of the players over the course of the first five levels? And then once we hit fifth level, and the wizard's got knock and fireball, um, you've got these magic items that'll help you kind of do the things you need to yeah. do, and the rogue is out of the story. Nice. So we've sort of. Uh, uh, like I had an idea in my head of how we were going to have this conversation and we totally went off of it, which is fine because I, I think it's more natural. But we kind of talked about like in each section, we kind of talked about how you could do it or some interesting ways you can do it. So I don't know that we need to circle back around to that. But I was going to share one anecdote. <clears throat> one of the few times I did, which this really wasn't a DM NPC. Uh, it was just an NPC that the characters fell in love with. And they, and they sort of forced this NPC to stay with them because they just enjoyed the company of this NPC. And it was a very Michael thing where it was supposed to be nobody. It was just a random, you know, I, an NPC they were supposed to meet on the side of the road, like a beggar. 
and I just I guess I made him more interested than I meant to, or they or they <laughs> or they thought he was more interested. Like they they thought there was something to him, and he started off he was just an old crazy guy, and they just thought he was funny. So they kind of, if I remember, he was like he's wearing robes, you know, no shoes. Uh, robe was really tattered and dirty. Clearly had no underwear on, and like every now and then he would like bend over and flash them because I was you know seventeen. That was funny. Um, and they just like, well, you know, he's this poor guy. Let's, let's have him come on with us and, you know, we'll feed him and clothe him and blah, blah, blah. Well, they got to the point where they kept telling him to go do stuff. Like they just like want to get rid of him for a little while. They'd be like, can you go do this? And so just to be kind of funny is I started having him be able to accomplish these things to a very powerful level, like, like an absurd level. Like they said, go get us some food. And he would, they'd come outside and there'd be like a table with a full course meal on it. And so they started to realize that he apparently had some sort of abilities and uh yeah so he ended up in my eventually became a retcon that he was this very powerful sorcerer that had like one of those robes of uh something that makes you dumb is like a second edition robe that a robe of enfeeblement i think and so he would never take the robe off and he was cursed and i think eventually they got the curse off of him and he got all his power so they would just try to like figure out like like go catch a squirrel and he'd come back with a squirrel like how did you catch a squirrel you know and they just kept <laughs> it just eventually kept ramping up that he could do these really powerful things but only kind of on accident so that was one of the few times i had an npc join the party that i actually enjoyed because it was just <laughs> to an absurd level um so we'll throw it out to the audience we've got several people who have been communicating with us which we love do you have any questions for craig or my, myself it could be about mounts and familiars or it could be about anything else it doesn't really matter uh while we're waiting for chat to catch up craig uh where can people find your work on the internet oh you can go to nerdburgergames.com that's nerd as in what we all are burger as in mm, what a tasty burger dot uh, com that's where all my game stuff lives um me talking about stuff there's a blog that i'm pretty transparent in although right now it's kind of chock full of kickstarter stuff um you can go to drivethroughrpg.com to buy um, game stuff that I've made. Um, however, if you're going to go looking for murders and acquisitions, the first thing to do is go to look at capers and see if you dig that because you can get murders and acquisitions as an add-on at a discount. Uh, and um, I'm on the Twitter, the Twitters at NerdBurgerCraig. And if you want to come to a catacon, they could meet you. Yes, I will. I, I imagine have a demo table again. We'll probably be... There'll probably be some uh, capers there, maybe murders and acquisitions. Uh, probably, um, yeah, I would think I'd probably schedule a few round of like actual game schedule, you know, actual event schedule, a few rounds of die laughing because that kind of needs enough players to make happen. I ran a couple of those last year, um, and people dug it. So that's that's game number three for everybody who's keeping score. Oh, nice. Probably probably going to be the next one. Uh, as for myself, again, Michael at the RPG Academy. Anywhere you search the RPG Academy, if something comes up, it's probably me. If it's not, let me know because I need to have a conversation with somebody. Um, Kickstarter is going on right now for Catacon. If you know anyone who has a game company, maybe they run a Kickstarter and they would like uh, some promotion. Maybe we can work out a deal if they want to give us some money for Tabletop or something like that. Uh, we absolutely can use more and more sponsorships. And then don't forget May 18th. 19th and 20th, we're going to have a Catacon line. So if you want to play some online games with myself, some other of the network people, network uh, peeps and beyond, there'll be more information coming on that soon. Uh, so Targris did have a question. Any experience with players trying to take advantage of familiars in a combat way? Oh, somebody just pumped in and it moved it. Oh, that they weren't typically intended for. Hmm. Well, I've had players who've had the uh, you know the little bitty bird familiar or something and like okay you know the fighter needs a flank buddy <laughs> really well the thing you know and like yo the bird has an attack it has a plus one to attack and it does a d2 or whatever right and they say okay but that's that's a valid attacker so it can be a flank buddy and then of course you know SWAT and <laughs> that's the end of all of that yeah and but, and but if you couldn't bring them back because now you can kind of bring them all back but that's that's what always happened is someone would say well I have a familiar and I want him or it or her or whatever into to help well they always died like every time <laughs> because someone would shoot it with an arrow or there'd be a fireball like a, a area of effect spell and they have two hit points so they're going to die so now they've kind of made it where you can bring them back easy so that almost makes it easier to spam because if they get killed it's it's only a mild inconvenience. Yeah, that's a problem. If you uh, if you want to let that slide in the game, let that roll where you can 
take that creature that has that minor, very weak attack that, you know, once you get past, uh, you know, once the, the characters get up a few levels, that's it's not a, a consequential amount of damage that's probably being dealt um, with, the, with the, the familiar. And let it be a flank buddy. Um, let it function in that role. Um, or let it, uh, you know, aid another or do, you know, distractions and things that are going to be um, advantageous to people in combat. Um, I don't have an issue with it, really. I mean, it's just another way to use the familiar. It's like if the player treats the familiar as, as <laughs> expendable and we're just going to, you know, ether up another one um, or have this thing get reincarnated or whatever it is that, it, you know, however it comes back. Uh, that's the flavor they've chosen for the familiar. Like if I ever had a, if, as a DM, if I ever had a player who had a wizard that was just constantly sacrificing their familiar, I would absolutely make it the same familiar coming back over and over and over again. And every every three times or so, I'd, I'd make a little chart. I'd keep it in my notebook. Every three times, I put a little check mark, and each check each each little box would have like um, an adjective, like a descriptor of like how it feels about you now. And as it goes along, it'll be like you know just kind of. A little bothered would be the first one, and then after a couple more, after you got a few down the road, it'd be like downright pissed. Yep. Um, and then when you got a few more down the road, maybe eight check boxes down, it would be seeking revenge, yeah. outright uh, rebellion. <laughs> yeah. Um, you watch The Good Place, right? And we've talked a little bit about that before. I do. So it's kind of like a Janet situation where every time it gets rebooted, it it evolves or changes or becomes a little bit more aware. So after you've done it so many times, it's like, uh, no, <laughs> we're going to renegotiate our contract here, buddy. That would be kind of funny. <laughs> not a girl, not a robot. Yep. Um, <laughs> I, I love that show. Uh, I, I follow the actors on Twitter. And then I would like, uh, you know, you maybe could do something where like when it dies, it comes back, but it comes back in the same body. So now it's like a zombies familiar. So like <laughs> sure. the first time, you know, it's got one eye hanging and it's got a broken leg. And eventually it's just like a skeletal version. That's kind of chomping around for no reason. Uh, that could be interesting. I, I really dig that. That's awesome. <laughs> especially, right. if you got, especially if you got a wizard that's rolling down the necromancy pass. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nice. <laughs> All right. So Sheriff Jetsarian says or asks, how do you feel about a mount that can be summoned and dismissed relatively easily if it's established very strongly that it's the same entity or spirit. Uh, that could interact interestingly with your penchant for time travel. I imagine the player <laughs> discovering that their horse is outside time and space could be interesting. So we touched we touched on that a little bit about how in 5th edition your horse can just kind of get summoned from the ether and it is sort of the same horse. So I guess if you did travel in time, so I guess my question would be is if you went backwards in time and you're now earlier, would the horse know who you were? Like, is is the astral horse plane <laughs> eternal and time moves in both directions and it would already know who you were from the future or would you have to relearn it from the past? I just confused myself. I'm, I think I have a headache. Well, this is, this is, <laughs> this is, this is where you set it up in the beginning. When uh, now this is this is running on the assumption that uh, the horse um, has a semblance of intelligence and can communicate with you, or any creature like this, for example, right? You set up, you have the the paladin get their mount or the wizard get their familiar or whatever, and the and the animal shows up for the first time and says, "Oh hey, how's it going?" and starts talking to you like your old friends, because it's already met your character in the mm. past, even though you're meeting him for the first time, and then somewhere around you know level nine. Um, your characters travel time travel to the past, and you meet the horse or whatever for the first time, and the horse is like, "Who the hell are you?" And and that person's like, "Hey, what's up?" Yeah, like they're so best just, friends. Yeah, it's basically the opposite situation. They're talking like they know each other. Um, more, and then I, I I I'm kind of intrigued. I was waiting for the you know time traveling forward kind of thing too. I'm intrigued by the idea that. Um, you know, you go into the dungeon, you know, dismiss the horse into the, what is it, the astral plane of horsiness? Yeah, the horsiness plane, yeah. Um, you dismiss it into the astral plane of horsiness where time, and we'll assume time runs there like it does here, but you go into the, the dungeon and then you get transported in time three years in the future. What's that horse like now? <laughs> He's a drunkard. <laughs> He's playing cards. Waiting for you for three years. Um, or, you, know, you know how many horse years or, that is? Or it's, or it's, um, you know, people change over time. Animals, their personalities, just in real life, change over time through age and through experience. Um, you could have that horse be a very different horse later. Um, 
what happens if that horse now has a new best friend? You were <laughs> you were gone. Awkward. I'm with this paladin yeah. now. Awkward. <laughs> uh, so NY Tater asks, have you ever had a familiar become a character after the primary player has died? I have not had that specifically, but I've had something similar. Again, going back to those Mercedes Lackey books, Mercedes Lackey, uh, there is a, uh, it's called a companion. And in the Magic's Pawn, Magic's Price, something, whatever those are called, books, uh, basically it's like a white horse that's intelligent. They become bonded to the magician and become best friends. And you learn later, spoilers for a book that's 25 years old, that basically the magicians when they die have the option to come back as one of these animals so these intelligent creatures are actually the somewhat reincarnated versions of these magicians so i had that happen once where my player died my player character not my player because i'm the player died and i had their mind go into the familiar with the idea that eventually it would come back out so i wasn't playing the familiar as a character but it was like a like a holding thing for the personality that eventually i wanted to come back out and we played a different character in the middle and then it never happened because i only get to play like once every four years <laughs> um there's a variant on that which is something that actually i did not play in but it, somebody told me about once which was they had been playing a uh a knight type character and they had one of those dreaded npcs in the group um, and it was that, that night squire who was not a combatant, um, who just did squire things. And it was part of the story of the night and he was being, he was training the squire and so forth. And they were a knight and squire errant out and about with this adventuring party. And eventually the knight got killed. Um, and the, um, the player went then to play the squire, um, avenging the knight's death. Hmm. I like that sort of a legacy Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that. Uh, someone mentioned in chat about how in older editions of D&D, &D, there was a pretty harsh penalty for losing a familiar. Yes, I remember you You either did or you could lose constitution if the familiar died. And I think you lost hit points if it died. It, there was like an immediate hit point loss, I think, for that or some sort of effect because like the mental connection, you felt them die and it did something to you. The, yeah, that's gone now. Again, they, they have, <laughs> they're basically just pop in and pop out. Um, do you ever read the Order of the Stick comic strip? Um, yeah, yeah, for for years, yeah. I, I read it for years. I have not read it now in years, but uh, I remember there was that one moment that I thought was really, because it kept happening where someone would say, hey, don't you have a familiar? Like, oh, yeah. And he would disappear. <laughs> and then it happens several times. And they're like, I know, I'll send my familiar into town. And then there's like 700 arrows or firing at the one bird flying across the room for no reason. Like that's exactly the way I was dealing with familiars back when I was a. That's that's yeah. right out of the gamers too. The, the 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 short film the gamers where the one player who never makes it to the game suddenly shows up and they're like, oh yeah, his character's there and he just he just walks out from behind a tree and then he's there for a little bit of a fight and then he then the guy has to leave and the character just disappears again, even though technically he's supposed to be traveling with the party where they're going. Yeah. All right. Very cool. So one last call for questions. Uh, again, while we're waiting, I want to thank everyone for joining us once again. Uh, we have our kind of our regulars that come every week, and I really appreciate that. We had Calum join us tonight. He had some free time that he doesn't always have. So thank you, sir. And again, I hope things are going well. And I don't remember if Sheriff has joined us before. I know he's one of our patrons and hangs out with us on Discord, but I don't know if I've seen him on here before or not. If if you have and I forgot, I apologize. Uh, but one last call for questions. Otherwise, we'll wrap things up. And I will note, I have not looked at the Akatakon Kickstarter since before 9 o'clock, and this is literally the longest I've went without looking at it <laughs> other than being asleep since it started. Yeah. Not me. I just went over and looked the capers. <laughs> I haven't looked now in almost a full hour, and that's uh, that is a record. <laughs> Very cool. So while we're waiting, I guess you know I might as well. Oh, oh, oh! Uh, I don't think it's changed. No. Nope. Oh my goodness! How is it doing? Oh. Nope. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. It's there's. You'll come to find this is how many kickstarters for you for for a catacon? Uh, fourth one. Yeah. There's there's no rules, right? There's zero rules. Yeah. I was I was looking I was staring down the barrel yesterday I was staring down the barrel of a a personal milestone 264 backers that's what I was shooting for yesterday I was looking at that waiting for that number because 263 is the number of backers I had for mergers and acquisitions total 
and we are on the verge of beating that in the first half of this Kickstarter. And I really wanted to see it happen before um, we hit the halfway point. And so I had 262 when I left work. When I got home, there was a nice surprise, 263. And then I spent my evening and I just did all the stuff and da 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 da. And it was like all evening long, late afternoon and into the evening. And normally, you know, you get, you get some backers. There's people getting home from work and blah, 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 and stuff happening. And no, of course not. You know, the Kickstarter gods decided to just sit there and poke me in the eye and, <laughs> and, and hit that, that 264 like minutes before I went to bed. Yeah, it, it, legitimately, that's what happened to me last night. It was right around 10 o'clock, and I was like, all right, I'm going to bed. And then someone got us funded, so all of a sudden now I'm sending out tweets, and I'm excited. I'm yeah. done. So now it's like you know midnight. I'm still checking to see if anybody else has jumped on now. So, yeah, same exact thing. I mean, I'm happy. I'm not complaining, but it's like, oh, could this have happened at like 7 o'clock? Exactly. Uh, so Caleb does have a question before we jump off here. Uh, how do you deal with communication with animals? So familiar, at least within the games that I played, usually there is a there's there's the ability to communicate either verbally or, or tele telepathically with the creature. So you can see what it sees, hear what it hears, and you can know what you want it to do. But when you have an animal, maybe not even like a like a druid's companion or a warhorse, if you just have someone's like, hey, I want to go buy a dog and have a dog that hangs out with us, <laughs> how do you handle? Like, is it just a normal dog, or do you allow it to bond in a way that might be seen as supernatural perhaps um well you know what's what's super what's a supernatural bond okay like an immediate kind of thing then yeah maybe that's supernatural but you know if you have a if you have a dog that you take care of and that you know takes care of you in turn for a couple of years there's going to come a point where you know exactly what that dog is thinking and that dog is going to be able to kind of predict your actions as well and so you know, whatever the animal handling skill is or whatever, you know, wisdom score that's necessary. It's just, you know, you've got a character who has uh, an animal companion or a pet that they've had for an extended period. Um, you know, you aren't necessarily speaking in the animal's voice and, and, and telling the, the player exactly what the animal is, is, you know, saying or thinking or whatever. But you can make a pretty strong impression with just, like, describing its... Uh, its its mannerisms, um, how it's reacting to things, how it's reacting to the character, and, and, and occasionally even just say stuff like, "Well, you know this animal well enough to know that they're feeling blah blah blah." Um, and so then you actually have like a bit of a reciprocal relationship with the animal because it's communicating with you in a you know in a nonverbal way. Right. I know going going back to second edition, there were rules for an animal companion that you could purchase. And then you would roll, there's like an animal handling check you could do once a week. And depending on the role, you could tr you could train it like up to three things. There was, it was based on the animal's intelligence. So you could have like guard, stay, heal, fight, that type of thing. Heal as in heal, not heal as in ah. And uh, <laughs> so based on the animal's intelligence, you could actually train them to do certain commands or tricks. But again, that was like a normal non-intelligent or non-supernaturally intelligent creature. Uh, if you had an animal that you that you bought and it stayed with you for a long time, I think I would probably allow for there to be some sort of bond where it's, again, like you're saying, like you, they know what each other's thinking, but it's not a verbal thing. It's not like, hey, Steve, come here. It's just a, you know that, you know, your companion needs you to come over there. It's urgent. And then, you know, you find something in the woods, the weeds, that kind of thing. Though I did right. have a, a funny thought, because I know uh, someone mentioned in chat the speak with animals, which... You know, as a DM, you always get to play around with it because you know what does a squirrel know about the number of armies marching by? You know, no, the, the, the squirrel knows what we just talked about, like squirrels and chipmunks. Now, it's yeah, like, pretty much. They know ah, everything's ah, trying to kill me. Jeez, uh, make it quick! I gotta go. So there's there's that kind of thing. Well, you know, the, the animal isn't intelligent enough to speak with you the way you understand. But what if there was a spell, speak as animal, which lowered your intelligence to their level? <laughs> instead of bringing theirs up to yours and you just have like this conversation back and forth with blorps and bleeps and chucks and roars and then when it comes out of it you're like I have no idea what we talked about but I had a good conversation <laughs> nice oh that's silly <laughs> <laughs> yeah pretty much uh, alright I think that's everything I, if I miss anybody in chat I apologize but we will be here again uh, next week is the 28th of the week after we're going to have a special episode for anybody who likes wrought iron 
We're going to have... <laughs> Who doesn't? Exactly. We're going to have sort of a, a wrought iron reunion. It's not going to be an actual show because Caleb's not back yet, but we are going to do some in-character shenanigans. So I really <laughs> hope some people will show up and talk to us um, as our characters. Uh, we're going to basically answer questions in character. And we have a few other little odds and ends that might happen that might be funny if you're into that. And then the week after will be the end of the Kickstarter. We're going to do a live show where you count down. The Kickstarter will end at 9.45 p.m., so we're going to count that down, talk about some of the plans for Catacon, anything I've got worked, because i got a few things in motion right now. I might be able to make some announcements, some more special guests, and that kind of thing. So hopefully uh, people will want to join us for that. Until next time, Craig, thank you again for your time. Best of luck with the Kickstarter. Congratulations already, but best of luck that it gets as high as it can possibly get for you. Right back at you, man. All right, so we'll do our awkward wave out to everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast, the flagship program of the RPG Academy Network. If you enjoy what we do here, then please check out the RPGacademy.com and visit our site partners for additional entertainment and gaming advice. We do this out of love for the hobby and for you, our fans. The podcast and site content will always be free for you to enjoy and utilize. But we do have expenses related to the show. If you'd like to help out in any way, please visit patreon.com slash Academy and check out the rewards we are providing for your monthly pledges. We use all funds that come in to improve the show and give you better content and quality. And if you don't have the coin to spend, don't worry. You can still help us out in many ways. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes and or Stitcher Radio. You can leave us a five-star review. Also, if you clear your cookies and you visit Amazon or the DriveThruRPG site through our portal, we get a small percentage of what you pay, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Just like any RPG. Our site works best with open lines of communication. We love talking with our listeners about everything. Please contact us with any questions, concerns, and comments that you have. We also love to hear feedback and experiences from your own games. You can email us via podcast at therpgacademy.com and reach us on social media such as Facebook and Google+. Plus at the RPG Academy. But Twitter is usually the fastest way to reach us. You can find my favorite co-host, The Caleb G, at The Caleb G. And you can find my favorite co-host, Michael, at The RPG Academy. Thanks for listening. And as always, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. Right.